May 2014, Swiss painter Andreas Ruthi gave a talk about the European tradition of still life painting in relation to modernism, his own work and more recent critical writing on still life. So I'm just going to talk about, uh, well, still life, which is uh, sort of a bit an overlooked subject often. I mean, it's also the title of a book which uh, I really like. I've mentioned the title at the end of the PowerPoint. And uh, I mean, there's, there's many reasons why still life is overlooked. I mean, uh, historically it's been so by the, you know, the painting academy, it's always been seen as the lowest of all the categories and so you know the the highest one portraiture or historical painting or landscape landscape paintings and uh, at the bottom still life and that had also sort of uh, effects that there's far less sort of theoretical writing about still life and it's only sort of maybe in the last 20-30 years that there they suddenly rea realized how complex uh, still life is in terms, you know, in relation to, let's say, the economy and all kinds of other political things. And so there's now been, uh, you know, suddenly much more writing about uh, still life. Just to remind you that we're surrounded by, well, images, you know, that sort of relate to still life. But of course, they're, you know, not... They're not art, but they're, you know, perfectly photographed and, uh, well, trying to sell product. And, I mean, that's really something where we have, you know, still life on a daily basis uh, around us, which is often forgotten. Yeah. I've got here some uh, little bits and pieces. I had to, uh, for this exhibition in Zurich, the, the gallerist asked me to write a statement, sort of, and she just said... Uh, Please write something which is sort of quite easily to understand and is not sort of theoretical. Because if you you know if you pay like a, an art critic or an art historian to write, they usually tend to come up with something which has a lot of you know quotes in it, which are can be difficult if you're not necessarily part of you know the art scene. Anyway, so the kitchen where crockery and cutlery we used to eat and drink have not changed much. We sip wine from glasses like the Romans, eat from porcelain plates and bowls like the Chinese, and keep flowers and ceramic pots like the Egyptians. Modern materials like plastic or aluminium we tend to reserve for takeaway or a picnic. <laughs> and I mean, that is sort of really something that interests me, you know, these very banal things we have constantly surrounded and don't see anymore, I mean, and uh, that's, has sort of become my subject, yeah. I mean, still life's been around for a long time, I mean, this, you know, with the, this, like these amazing uh, wall paintings in Pompeii, I mean, again, you know, in those days they had a very different sort of meaning, they were interpreted very differently and uh, for example, very much about to do how you deal with uh, guests in your house. So the Romans were very particular if you had a, a guest, for example, a, a new guest, someone who's staying for the first time in your house. You had to have the procedure what you uh, gave them to eat. So, you know, certain things you didn't want to impress them too much with too expensive food. So it was very sort of uh, exact rules what you were 
Phoebe had to engage him to eat, and that also then sort of is reflected in the in the still life of that period. Then here we got uh, you know the Damien Hart's skull, which of course you know, again refers to the tradition of still life, sort of the, the memento mori type, you know, re, re, uh, reminds, you know, be reminded of the, your mortality. Uh, and which, something which appeared in, the, in medieval times, in medieval sort of uh, still life paintings. I mean, that's not something I'm particularly, you know, interested in. I mean, it's, and you'll see, I mean, there's so many facets of still lives, and I'm probably more you know, interested in the one. Remember to be alive, you know, I mean, rather than <laughs> And you'll see, I mean, this is a, a London-based photographer, artist, Laurie Gerst. He had a show uh, actually at the Photographer's Gallery in Penarth uh, in, in Cardiff a couple of years ago. But he's referring, I mean, this is sort of a very famous uh, uh, still life by Cotan, a Spanish painter and that's what it's based on I'm actually quoting that in a, in a I used the postcard which I'm going to show you a bit later so you can just remember but he's sort of re-setting that up, he made it also into videos so you, you see you know how this, you can see the bullet on the top right, how it's sort of going through the thing, so, so you see a lot of young artists are referring in their own way uh, Okay, then when I begin a painting, I set up the, the composition at an arm's length away from my body on a grey wooden box leaning against the grey wall, not unlike the modernist face in Giorgio Morandi's over or the pale, infinite backgrounds in some of paintings by Peter Klaas. So this, I mean, the grey is just referring what I've been doing for the last year. I mean, in the years ago, I've used, you know, different backgrounds. That's only something I've been using now for the current exhibition yeah. and here we got Peter Klaas who's a 17th century Dutch uh, painter well he's considered a middle class painter he didn't do the really posh still life which uh, you'll see an example of later but so there, there was sort of quite uh, mysterious painting but it was really fantastic or well mysterious is the backgrounds I mean for 20 years, years he used these Sort of almost infinite backgrounds where you're not quite sure are you looking at a wall or is it something going much further back. This is a bit. So, this I've been doing uh, still lives where I used uh, art postcards and objects. I mean, so I've been sort of setting them up on. It's a bit bright now, but I mean, it, they're a bit paler. Uh, in real life and uh, also it's a bit expanded I'm just realizing so they're not as landscape as we see them now so you just have to keep that in mind and uh, then painting uh, so because I was fascinated by postcards and also you know a lot of painters and, and art history and the fact that we collect things and put them onto shelves and uh, well, as a personal memory, but then also creating these sort of dialogue blocks with the with the with the jog, so for example, the movement of her hand on you know her right hand, and the little handle of the pink 
pink milk jug. Or a more recent example where I've been using books and a lot of a uh, lot of objects from my collect. I mean, I got a massive collection of uh, things because wherever I am, I, I visit you know junk shops and jumble sales. And at that uh, period, I was I came back from New York and saw an exhibition of uh, a, a Miro show there, and that inspired me then just to use the the catalog as an object. As in the same way as I used the, the, the postcard as an object. And then just juxtapose all these, uh, I mean, that's a tiny painting, 22 by 36, yes. Or this one here, where I just opened it in a way that the three objects were holding free image, so we have the free flat images against the free objects in front of it. Then I was, when I was, the more I was looking at these books, I also realized, you know, that we've got the double pages in a book, which actually in, in art books are quite rare. I mean, they're sort of more common in, in magazines. So I did uh, a part of an exhibition. I just selected all the, the double pages I could find in, in art books in, in, the in, the, in the library up in Kerlin and then made uh, paintings from them. I mean, so we got the Surah, so these people sort of, you know, sitting on a Sunday at the, at the river and then in front of it, well, a real, well, it's a, not a real car, but it's a model car. And it all ends up on a flat painting. I then also did uh, an exhibition where I sort of decided to work much faster because usually uh, so the paintings, you know, some of the paintings take me months and months and layer upon layer. But I mean, for that exhibition, I just decided, okay, no, not longer than two days. It's got to be, you know, Day one, do it, and then day two, just add. And that just made them much more complex in a way, so they just piled up more things, like as a chopping boards at the bottom, and then we have like this art book, which has sort of reproduction of David Hockney and Andy Warhol, and I put in this uh, sort of toy fighter jet, fruit, and lots of other things, yeah. Then other artists uh, that are an inspiration are so Chardin, he's a great sort of French uh, still have painted them. Corot, I really like because he's got sort of a very unusual light in his paintings, and that's quite rare. Sort of, there's not uh, and Piero della Francesca, sort of the Renaissance. Same, those two painters I absolutely love because there's just something in their light. Not even the subject, but uh, which absolutely inspires me. When this one is a little painted, again very mysterious. You know, it's the flagellation of Christ, but that's actually not the main theme. The main theme is what is what's going on in this in the head of these three men standing on the right. But and sort of the scene 
behind is sort of an expression of that, but we don't really know what's, uh, what's happening. But I, I'm just in love with those paintings because of the sort of just the, the balance of the light and the relationship of architecture and, you know, as an architectural space and then the figures in the, in the picture. I mean, and sometimes the relation is more obvious. I mean, in this case, it's like a, a Chanel, you know, perfume uh, powder box. And then on the, on the postcard, you've got this little uh, sketch of a sort of Bonar painting of a woman doing the, as in front of the mirror. All the times, it's, it's more the sort of the color, which is the, is the first thing, you know, the, because I mean, I think there is always various level when you can look at them in terms of, you know, subject, but then color, and all kind of other. And here in the, I mean, that is the postcard uh, that's sort of by this Cotton uh, Spanish uh, artist, which you saw the photo with the bullet going through. So that's a really famous uh, painting, still like painting done by a Spanish monk and uh, I'm not the only one who sort of has quoted that, I mean it, this is very often the case, but I've been using uh, like a, a flower which has been cast in resin, so you, again you have like a three-dimensional object together with a flat object, well the postcard which is a reproduction a photographic reproduction of a painting or you could also say a little window you know I mean it's like a, like a, a little window into another reality or in this one here which is a sort of a little baby which I did actually I did another version of it, but I did it uh, when my, my daughter was about that age. So there's also all kind of person, uh, it's quite an old one, she's 22 now, but uh, it's quite uh, often very personal, so the things come almost like a diary, come into, uh, into the paintings. And, but then, of course, I was also thinking here, you know, uh, the French philosopher Lacan talks, talks about, a lot about this period when we as a child recognize ourselves in a mirror as a person whereas when you're very young you look, they look into the mirror they don't see there's some, something there but so there's all kind of other sort of ideas that come into the picture as well and this is Morandi I mean he's sort of one of the best known you know uh, still life painters from the 20th century and of course that's you know a big influence because he, he yeah you can't ignore him and I mean I've been seeing his pictures and of course I like as well that he's working with a very reduced uh, sort of well palette but also uh, the objects uh, the, the choice of objects yeah. you might you might say this is not a still life but then uh, it is because 
I mean, I've done a whole exhibition in Germany with uh, tiny porcelain dogs. And uh, I mean, some of them are almost six foot uh, high, so they're almost life size. And I painted them in a way that the, they often get like sort of a human, uh, you know, expression in their faces. I mean, now, now I know why I've been painting dogs because my wife wanted to get the dog and I, I, I never had a dog and I, I didn't want the dog so my way of dealing with it was painting little miniature dogs and just think about it yeah. so Philip Gaston the American uh, well he started as an abstract painter but then moved so in the 60s I think uh, into Figuration, very strongly influenced by, you know, sort of American cartoons. I mean, he's an artist I really like, and I mean, in a lot of his paintings, the relationship of the painter and the daily life, you know, is sort of becomes the subject. I mean, like this, you know, well, obviously the painter sleeping with a bag in his mouth and still the brushes and probably other things uh, on his bed. I mean, I'm not that extreme, I don't, uh, <laughs> and I pr prefer to work in daylight as well. I don't uh, work at night. So that's a more recent one, which is, uh, I'm still using the shelf and gray background, but uh, again, you know, I mean, I started it two years earlier and, and then often you get stuck and just need a bit of a break and uh, then, then continue because there were all kind of other objects uh, in it as well which now aren't there anymore but this is a painting and it's, uh, it's from 1670 it's quite an amazing painting I mean and it's sort of again it's another other category in still life which is a trompe l'oeil as it sort of painted as yeah that you just take it for real and I mean, it's, of course, looks incredibly modern. It's uh, for us now, but I mean, in those days, it was also just used that you had this painting in your living room and you sort of tricked one of your guests by having a painting and not a, a painting of the back of a painting. So that's what they also function for. Whereas now we look at it, interpret it differently. Now, now that's the. Oh, that's a, a Matisse painting of uh, a based on a on a Dutch still life, and uh, I think the uh, what's his name David Hames, I think is his name. But he he Hames was the posh still life painter. He did this really ex sort of exquisite big paintings, but they were also really full uh, full of fruit, etc., etc., and very different I mean the horror vacui I'm just putting there which sort of means uh, being afraid of the void and if you think of the one I showed you uh, with the cut up fish and then sort of the sort of the infinite background very different you know to to the one where it's really filled up all over well right at the top almost you know And uh, Bonar, another wonderful sort of painter from, well, 20th, 19th, 20th century, did a lot of still lives. 
and you know an amazing way how he's using the space i mean he, he works he worked very differently he worked from memory he had i think he had little sketchbooks and then went back to his studio but uh, just sort of an amazing way how he's sort of well almost moving you know the table upwards and, and then oh, it's, only one, it's not Giacometti uh, probably best known for his portrait of well people and his sculpture but he did also still lives which uh, you sort of can see you know being worked and change around again and again so I do a lot of drawings and they're often studies I mean the drawings you often things appear a couple of years before you they then sort of become really you know apparent in the painting because I think that the painting for me is a much slower process that I just do drawings where I'm actually well because you can do them so quickly I mean like in this case you know I just put put together three figures but they are from different centuries you know that the angel is from the renaissance and then the, the middle one is from a Japanese photographer 20th century and then sort of 19th century just think well which you just do without thinking well you're thinking but I mean it's not uh, sort of academic thinking I would say or here putting uh, you know a figure from a Boucher painting underneath the oranges of Cezanne uh, still life <laughs> and I don't really exhibit them, but I mean, for me, they're more, more like notebooks. I keep them because uh, suddenly, you know, sort of I come back to one or two things. Or here, these uh, from a book with portraits. But then some, I mean, it's always different, isn't it, to see them as a drawing. Uh, and suddenly you realize, well, this is it's a couple they're married, you know. Those paintings, uh, I suddenly thought, why, why didn't it? why were they not painted together on one painting, you know, all those other things come to your mind. And here's an example of Sharda. Uh, so he's this uh, sort of ancien regime painter, there's a lot of his painting in France, I think, and actually there was an amazing exhibition in uh, the Royal Academy, maybe eight or ten years ago. I remember seeing that, that was and you just see, you know, this, the way he's placing the knife as just inviting us, the viewer, so that we become, <laughs> but then of course, we can't. I mean, we, we can just only see it. Yeah. So the figure in the Goya painting has a flower on her head, which is red, and then you got in the green glass, there's a flower. Well, again, three-dimensional but also, of course, the red and the green. The more recent ones, I've sort of dropped the postcard, so the image, because, and I'm just sort of, in a way then, there is, no, is not the immediate uh, historical reference, so it's so, so, so obvious, but I mean, then they start to sort of refer more to other, well, still life paintings. But that's just an example because this painting I started 
well, in 2010, but then uh, I took it to an exhibition in Germany last year, and then I thought, well, it wasn't right yet, <laughs> so I took it uh, home. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to show you at the end, you'll see how it looks now, <laughs> and that's coming to Switzerland in next week, so it's gone through quite the transformation. I think there's also a bit of a humor in, in my work. I mean, here's an example, you know, Cuts and Mouse is the title. Cuts is cat, yeah? But the artist whose book I've used is called Alex Cuts. He's just an amazing American uh, sort of portrait or sort of group portrait painter. And, uh, yeah, there's a mouse on the left, uh, sort of it's an old Mickey Mouse figure. So there's all kind of other references, sometimes just sort of uh, with the language. Yeah. Or here, I mean, actually, the, I just realized there is a little skull. She's holding a skull on her. Uh, but here's sort of an empty scuttle, or I mean, a little kitsch scuttle. And then we sort of, she's sitting in front of this uh, flame. Okay, then. Painting from life is not depending on single lens technology. The technology that produces now 99% of all the still and moving images that surround us 24-7 on digital screens, as photographic prints, in books and in newspapers. We painters see the space and colors of our motives with two eyes that are in constant flux, constantly changing our perspective slightly. How fundamentally different this is to the mechanical lens with its singular fixed viewpoint. So uh, in a way, I'm just trying to say, you know, it is such a different experience if you're actually sitting here and working with your eyes. And we're so used now because we're, yeah, as I was saying, because we are seeing images that are made by single by single lens, which is a mechanical thing, must be something very different. I mean, I'm not the philosopher, but I mean, I'm just sort of trying to uh, say that there is a fundamental uh, difference. Yeah. So this is a uh, painting that was on show last year in Cologne. It's quite a big one. So I've only realized afterwards uh, when I Actually, I got the book here in case you're interested for sale. <laughs> when, I, when I looked at the book, that's the way I grouped them. There's on the left are, is a tin of uh, uh, chick, chickpeas, uh, which a friend of mine has written a text for the book called very middle class food, tip, uh, you know, whereas he calls baked beans are, you know, everybody eats them, but chickpeas is. Very middle class, according to him. I, uh, it's true. Uh, I did ask several students uh, where I teach, and some, some of them said they never had it until recently. So, but I just realized that the group them on the left is, well, objects, f food that are food related, and on the right are objects that are, well, my profession. You know, paint what the painter needs. Uh, you need. Uh, white spirits, you need a sort of linseed oil that's in the, you know, the pigments, and then the plastic thing is uh, it's like a primer, uh, acrylic gesso primer. 
I didn't really realize when I sort of grouped it, no idea. I just did it as I thought. And but like almost a year later, I realized actually that's what I've done. I mean, that's sort of quite interesting uh, well, to me. I don't know if it's for, for you, but I mean, that sometimes these things just, you know, it just happened. Yeah, they're a bit bleached out now, so they're, they're slightly more subtle there, sh the sh the sh because I spend a lot of time painting their shadows. So. <laughs> so in this case, I've also been painting the, the corner of the space in a... Because uh, I used to do work before I painted, which is often about sort of architectural spaces, photographic, and corners. I was very interested in corners, because they... I think they sort of really are something that other cultures don't have, you know, in the same way uh, as we in Europe. And then here we got the Monet painting of background is uh, it's Venice, and then this little chalk sort of directed towards the water in the, in the picture. And last year I did also, uh, well, from a from a Matisse book. The uh, Odalisk. This one is a uh, Kenny from South Park. Yeah, you might know that he dies in every series. Yeah, so it's actually I just thought this is quite a, a, an interesting concept sort of of a rebirth. Yeah, and then he comes back and dies again. But it's also, of course, I was interested in the fact that his face is circular and has two circles. And when I paint the circles, you know, they become ovals and sort of like those distortions. And then we got the postcard, which is Mark, Mark Rothko, the famous American sort of, well, some say he's the biggest landscape painter, yeah, but, or abstract ex expressionist or whatever. But if you can look at these things, you know, like two windows. If you look at that picture, it can be two eyes, almost abstracted eyes or something. So I thought it's not totally different, you know, to, it's definitely not an abstract painting to me. Or here he appears again in a Soutine painting, which is, uh, he, he worked in France, very famous sort of expressionist painter. But this painting is actually based on a painting by uh, Chardin. It's called The Ray. It's a very famous painting in the Louvre. But Soutine made in the 1930s his own version of it, which is uh, sort of much, actually, yeah, much more, well, thicker paint, you know, and all that. Okay, yeah. at the end of the day, the exhibited paintings are a residue of an inseparable process of decision making to document on the wood panel what I saw in front of me when I touched the space and the objects with my eyes. I did like this word residue. I, I mean, actually, nicked it from uh, Philip Gaston. He talks about residue. I thought it's such a brilliant way, and just saying, well, it's it's a residue. That's it's just when we stop. Yeah. This table did actually did actually have four legs, or it, it still has. It's still in my studio, because my friend who wrote the text he pointed out, you know, that it only has three legs, and it's totally sort of. But again, I mean, just in the process of painting, things just had to change and move around, and one leg. But 
but it has nothing's fallen down. <laughs> I mean, it's still up. <laughs> Again, you know, tins, I mean, I suddenly realized it's such a banal thing. I mean, I open tins, well, regularly and uh, chuck them away. But then, of course, I suddenly thought of, you know, this like Samuel Beckett, the Irish playwright. And then he, he wrote uh, sort of some, some of his, in some of his plays, people actually sit in bins, yeah? And you just see the head and then they... And he's sort of one of the, you know, the great geniuses of the 20th century. And then I suddenly thought, well, it's time to, yeah, look at tins. And of course, I could say quite a lot because, again, you know, because I do like ovals. I do like to paint ovals. And of course, I know now why, because in Chardin, there's a Chardin painting where he paints a water glass. And of course, there's at the top is the oval, but he paints it in such a strange way, which you know, any art teacher would say, this is not correct, that's not how you paint an oval, but it's absolutely right in the painting, so here's one with uh, Tintin Abbey, you know, which was painted early on by Turner, then the shoes, well here I, here I got a bit philosophical, because uh, Heidegger wrote about these shoes and then a few other philosophers, yeah, because they couldn't agree, are these two left shoes or are they farmers, uh, peasant shoes or whatever. So there was this big debate. But then I also found uh, another text by Heidegger where he describes what the, the essence of a jog is. And it's sort of quite a long text, but at the end it just says, the essence of a jog is its emptiness, you know the fact that it can hold something liquid, etc. And that's a thought. It's incredibly funny in a way. <laughs> because <laughs> these are that's one which is going now that's just been photographed yesterday. So that's going to Switzerland, yeah. And I collect and select things for my paintings. They have various meanings, nectarines and pomegranates imported from Peru. And bought in winter refer to fruit in paintings by other artists. An empty can of Heinz beans reminds some of pop art and others maybe of the world of, of the world economy's fragility. Collecting and possessing has meaning in itself. And last but not least, there are objects with a very personal hidden significance. I mean, this one is very personal for me because you know this uh, plant, the money, money plant, yeah? I got a bit of that money plant about five years ago by a Swiss artist who is called David Weiss, yeah? David Fischli Weiss. And he died last year. But I still got his money plant, you know? So, actually, again, you know, I realized it after I've done the painting that he gave me that. But those kind of things doesn't mean anything to other people but it means a lot to me and I think that's that's very important I mean even after years you know you, you sort of wonder why has this been made I think it's got to mean a lot to uh, to the artist who's, who's making the work again this is I was just telling this morning my wife this is probably a self-portrait you know because 
I, <laughs> I like for breakfast uh, porridge, but I use uh, uh, soya sauce, you know, which is quite unusual, but that's my perfect breakfast. And garlic? The, the garlic, my lunch is usually when I'm on my own, uh, then I just have pasta, olive oil, salt, pepper and garlic, yeah, and I'm happy. And then in the evening I have uh, red wine, yeah, that's in the thing in the behind. And there's the brush in front of me, so that is quite the, I mean, or this one here, which is uh, something we bought, this box, it's a very old box, has this French sweets in it, called, they're called Bastille de Vichy, they're very old-fashioned French sweets, yeah in an old rusty metal box and then on the right we found in France this container with uh, lemons in sugar, maybe sugar and water or something, but apparently it's used for uh, Moroccan dishes. Whereas before I just painted single lemons, but just seeing that I thought this is, uh, is amazing. So. And then this one here is a pair, and these other objects, aluminium, glass, silver, and I don't know what the other one is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I sort of had juxtaposed, well, fresh fruit with these sort of old-fashioned uh, sort of materials and objects. I mean, I found them in a, in a jumble sale. Yeah. And then again, bread. You know, I mean, it's uh, something I eat. I love bread, but I haven't really painted it. Or I've seen it in, in, in all the paintings, but usually it's together with cheese and really sort of abundant, because uh, a lot of those paintings were about abundance uh, in a period when suddenly, you know, with the Industrial Revolution, people didn't starve, whereas before it was sort of more... Uh, unpredictable whether if there was food available or not whereas now the last 250 years have been pretty pretty stable I mean we are sort of used but uh, so I just decided to paint half uh, well it's whole meal and then the cheaper one the white one on the left yeah. so this is now just relating to the exhibitions coming up my new paintings reflect our daily routines such as eating and working Start breakfast with tea or coffee, bacon, egg, and baked beans, or a bowl of muesli with juicy plums and nectarines, if you prefer a healthy diet. Later in the day, if we are lucky, we have lunch followed by supper, a rhythm that shapes our lives. This daily ritual has been looked at through still life for centuries.